0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Sandpiper Tapes. Um, If this is your first time listening to this, it is episode one, so a great place to start. I would uh, encourage you to go back and listen to episode zero, as that probably goes a little bit more into detail. But I will give you just a brief summary here. Basically, through the course of my job, I came into possession of a box. And on the side of that box was stenciled the word sandpiper. Sandpiper. when we opened that box, we found there was a series of five cassette tapes and we all kind of got really curious, um, as to what exactly was on them. So I took him to my friend, Adam here, who is recording this right now. Say hi, Adam. Hello, Hello Adam. Um, our producer extraordinaire Um, and basically we we wanted to find out what was on them so we did we did a little bit of tech work uh we got one to play which we're going to actually play for you in a little bit later Um, and then we've actually got another one that we're kind of in the process of working on Um, from what we can tell so far they're all narrated by the same person we don't know who that is Uh, they sound very similar to me um, which is disconcerting to say the least Uh, but Overall, we just, upon listening to this, didn't feel like we could keep it to ourselves. Um, So, if you're in the mood for something a little bit spooky or a little bit scary, this is probably going to be a good place for you. Um, How this is going to work is, after I'm kind of done talking here, I'm going to play the actual tape for you itself. And then I'll come back at the end and kind of talk about what we're doing next and uh, what you can look forward to um, coming forward if we get more off these guys. So, Um, that's it really. And enjoy guys. So one last thing I'm going to say, uh, before we actually do play the tape for yourself, I I'm looking at the tape now and I just want to kind of give it a little bit of a description and kind of why, what brought us into it really. So, um, it's, it's a normal cassette tape. It's in its little cassette box, just like everyone had when my generation was young (laughs) Um, uh, and then just written on on, sharpie basically or some sort of felt tip marker it appears is uh, the words that's fair from what we can tell that is the title of the story itself so enjoy the that's fair tape the tinkle of the bell brought peter's head up off the table He blinked the bleariness away just as the man he had been waiting for eased himself into the seat across. Earlier, the kitschy red vinyl had announced Pete's arrival to the rest of the restaurant by way of its best flatulence impression. It stood traitorously silent as his guests settled into it. Peter Holbrook's reason for choosing the Five and Dimer as the meeting point had been simple. If his associate was real, if he was who they said he was, Pete wanted there to be witnesses. The rumors sounded insane. The population in Cedar was less than 10,000. Why would he choose to live here, of all places? Why not LA? New York? Now, though, Pete was regretting his choice. He had failed to account for his companion's eccentric appearance. It made for an amusing tableau, the Five and Dimer's throwback 50s atmosphere and the man across the table's presence. The walls were lined with red neon, a traditional arms and numerals clock sat over the grill. Pimply-faced teens and paper hats absorbed more grease over the fryer. Their crisp white uniforms neatly folded and secured with a safety pen. The overly cheery waitress dropped off Pete's cheeseburger and hand-stirred milkshake. The other guests seemed to peer over his red-tinted half-moon glasses and query Peter with his eyes. Those glasses were bad enough. The man also wore a fine oxblood suit, his tie putrid yellow, the color of rot. His shirt was bone white. Completing the ensemble was a pocket square of deep verdant green. Intricately braided dreadlocks were tied behind his head. A series of small, vertical scars made a ring around his mouth, each one the same uniform distance from the next. But the worst part about the man were his eyes. They gazed at Pete over the top of the half-moon glasses. Green they were, the same green as the man's pocket square, a thought lightning bolted through Pete's skull. Jesus Christ, he's stolen somebody's eyes. But that was insane. This was just a man. He lived here, in Cedar. Pete had always known him. Hello, Peter, the man said in his melodious voice. Hello, Mr. Abernathy, Peter mumbled back. Virgil Abernathy had once given Peter trumpet lessons, just one of the many odd jobs and roles that Abernathy played around town. A memory floated to the surface of Pete's mind, unbidden, a moment frozen in glass. Mr. Abernathy playing his trumpet, the notes lower and hazier than Pete had thought possible from the brassy instrument. Those scars around his mouth pursed in a tight asterisk against the trumpet. Pete had asked his mom when Abernathy had shown up. His mother had mumbled something about a few years back before she suddenly became very interested in something back at her office. How can I help, Peter? Are you interested in restarting your trumpet lessons? The words seemed to fall neatly from his mouth. His voice seemed to ring in Pete's ears long after Abernathy had finished speaking. No, actually, Mr. Abernathy, I was curious, Pete began. Maybe one of my other services, then, Abernathy interjected. Pete paused before continuing. Yes, another service would be what I'd call it. Abernathy was nonplussed. I coach boxing at the multi-gen center on Wednesdays. No, Peter said with more force than he intended. I'm not a fighter, Mr. Abernathy. A smile broke onto Virgil Abernathy's face. His teeth were in excellent condition. No, Mr. Abernathy smiled. You never struck me as a violent sort, Peter. Pete winced. Abernathy reached across the table and snatched a fry from Peter's untouched food and dipped it into his milkshake. On the return across the table, Abernathy's abominable green eyes caught Pete's gaze again. Had they always been green? Surely not. Pete tried, unsuccessfully, to remember the Abernathy of his childhood. Well, then, Pete, I admit I'm at a loss as for what service I could provide for you. I used to sketch a little bit, but that was before my coming to Cedar. Yeah, when was that? When did you come to Cedar, Mr. Abernathy? He interrupted, his veins suddenly full of courage. But as soon as the words left Pete's mouth, he regretted them. If he made one mistake, he was screwed. Game over. Abernathy just stared for a moment before chuckling deep in his throat. Before you were born, Peter. Pete stared down at his food for a moment, picked up a french fry, put it back down. Picked it up again. He was afraid to speak. Abernathy started. It seems as though you have something you wanted to ask me, Peter. Why don't you tell me what it is? Pete took a bite of the french fry, slightly sodden from the prolonged milkshake dunking. He swallowed, but his mouth felt like it was full of sawdust. You know I'm dating Brittany. Pete asked. Brittany, Brittany, Brittany Schuler, Packwood. Brittany Schuler moved to Arizona in the fourth grade. Mr. Abernathy. Abernathy made a large mock sigh and placed the back of his hand against his head. Ah, well, you see, Pete, when you get to be my age, there's so many of the little guys I've met. You'll forgive me if I miss the occasional name here and there. Yeah, right. Pete thought to himself. I don't understand how any parent let their kids near your freaky looking ass. Then Pete thought back, the country of gravel beneath his boot, the TV still on in the living room, his eyes fogging with tears before he ever reached the bedroom door. You look like you need a good night's rest, Pete. Maybe think things over before you make any decisions. Pete could see his point. He hadn't slept at all except for the few fitful minutes on Rob's couch the night before. Perhaps that is what he really needed. He should probably go home. What time was it even? It was when Pete glanced at the old Roman numeral clock outlined in neon trim above the grill that he realized just how quiet it had become here in the five and dimer. Other people were talking about no noise came out. Shock fell away to disbelief as he dropped the spoon from the milkshake and watched it bounce merrily and completely silent on the tile floor. He glanced back up at Mr. Abernathy who smiled and held his arms open. "'What?' he asked. It seemed as though you may want to conduct business, so I took the liberty of lowering the volume a little. You can't hear them, and they can't hear us. So whatever secrets you have, they're safe with dear old Abernathy.' Abernathy leaned forward, those brilliant green eyes suddenly hungry. "'Tell me, Peter. Tell me all about it.' Pete began. She cheated at Mr. Abernathy plain and simple. It was one day earlier when Pete entered his apartment. It had been a half day at school, and all upperclassmen had been let out for lunch on their own recognizance. An old rule from back in the day when most of the high schoolers worked in the afternoon or needed to be let home early to do farm chores. Nowadays, it mostly provided cover for the kids who wanted to get some extra workout in before practice or study for tests. More often than not, the extra time was used instead for hooking up with your newest Conquest or drink booze in the back of someone's pickup. Pete's family was almost never home. His dad worked all day, his mom did too, so he was more or less left up to his own devices around the house. All that changed once he and Britney's had started seeing each other. It had been a bit slow going at first, but now he felt like they were really starting to have a better understanding of where they were both coming from. That was until yesterday. The moment was crystalline in Peter's mind, his boot stepping out of his truck and hitting the hot gravel in front of the apartment. He felt it settle under his feet with a satisfying crunch. He hoped that Brittany may be over soon. They had plans to have dinner together that night after all. Pete was planning to spend the rest of the day getting ready, working out, showering, making sure his proper clothes were clean. All the good things a boyfriend does before the date. Cool air blasted him in the face the minute the apartment door was opened. Shit, he mumbled to himself. Dad was going to kill him. He'd been warned about the skyrocketing electric bill multiple times this summer. As the last one out of the house, it was his job to make sure it was turned off before he turned the key in the lock. He'd clearly forgotten. Making matters worse was the TV being on in the corner. He knew for a fact that TV had been off before he left, because he'd been on the phone with Brittany as he'd done it. Something about their conversation yesterday had been off, completely not like them. Britt had seemed cold and distant, like her mind had been somewhere else. Snapping the old dial switch on the TV back to off brought his mind back to reality. His dad really was going to kill him. It was as he hit his bedroom door that his phone gave a sharp buzz in his pocket. A call from Brittany. He answered, Hey babe, I just got home. I'm going to head over to the gym and then get ready for tonight. The response was Kurt, Meet. Peter, I'm not coming tonight. Pete's insides turned to ice. Why? What's up? Peter, I'm hanging with Travis tonight. Travis, Peter explained to Mr. Abernathy, the five and dimer seeming to whirl back into reality around him, is Brittany's ex-boyfriend, the one before me, and he was a real piece of work. Mr. Abernathy stayed silent, his eyes never leaving Pete's face over the rim of his half-moon glasses. Peter's voice dropped low. "'He isn't good for her, Mr. Abernathy. "'He treats her bad. "'He's always calling her up when she's with me or home alone. "'He tried to control her emotionally.' "'And what is he to you, Peter?' "'Abernathy asked, his voice level. "'Nothing,' Pete said. "'He's nothing to me. "'But you gotta understand, sir, "'he's really preventing her from moving on. "'But you, sir, I know all about you. "'Rumors are you can help. "'You know all sorts of things.' Peter felt a cold bead of sweat run an icy trail down his neck. He watched similar beads of condensation weep from the steel cup that held his milkshake. The restaurant was still blanketed in the silence. It made the smell of the grease fryer sharper, harder to stomach. "'Are you who they say you are, Mr. Abernathy?' Pete asked. "'That depends on what they say I am, Peter,' Abernathy's eyes again flashed. They were so incongruous with the rest of his head.' they seemed sharper in the absence of sound, too. I can fix the problem with Travis, Peter. I can fix the problem with Brittany. But I'm not sure you really know what you're getting into here, Pete. These are not problems that have easy solutions. Every transaction extracts a price. I know what you are, Pete said, feeling he had sealed his heart. I know what I'm doing. It's for the best. It's fair. Travis doesn't deserve Brittany. And she doesn't deserve to have to him keep messing with her life. Abernathy sighed. Very well then, Pete. I can take care of what you ask. What about payment? Pete continued. Mr Abernathy gave a rueful smile. We could talk about that later, Peter. Right now, just shake my hand. Peter reached across the table, passed the barely touched fries and unmolested burger, and shook the man's hand. It felt solid and cold like wood that had cooled overnight when do but that was all pete managed to get out he was going to ask when do you start but it appeared it was already happening the light which had previously been so antiseptic and clean in the diner was fading outside it felt as though heavy wet clouds had rolled over the sun the air in the restaurant began to feel heavy and thick to breathe in strong hands reached across the table and grabbed pete around the neck collar Look at me, Peter. Look at me. The glasses were gone, set on the table and discarded. Pete looked into the wild green eyes and thought for the first time of the color green not as a herald of new life, but as the return of the old and fermenting, the possession of things that used to be alive. Give me the names, Abernathy's voice echoed in his mind. And then Abernathy's voice took the names from Pete's conscience. Brittany Paquin. Travis Powell. The light lowered even more. Dark was occupying more of the restaurant than it wasn't. Peter couldn't even see the other patrons or employees anymore. Not that he noticed. His eyes were locked onto the figure of Mr. Abernathy. Pete watched Abernathy's hand disappear into the breast pocket of his suit jacket and bring out what Pete thought was an old cigarette case. Silver in both color and make, the case was about three inches square with a little knob on the top that, when pressed, caused the case to pop open with a metallic rasp. Inside, however, were not cigarettes like Peter had been expecting, but an entire collection of what appeared to be human teeth. They were aligned in two distinct rows. The top teeth were pierced through the middle by a small silver stud. A ring passed through the center of each tooth in the bottom row pete watched in horror as mr abernathy removed a studded tooth and held it up to the smallest vertical scar on his top lip abernathy pushed and the stud pierced the scar tissue mr abernathy calmly returned the friction lock to the stud now located inside his lip and reached for the next tooth from the cigarette case mr abernathy repeated the process with every tooth in the top row when he reached the bottom row pete had to look away the studs were bad enough the wait was excruciating. Finally, Pete heard the cigarette case close with a snap and looked up at Mr. Abernathy. Six teeth lined the top lip. Six teeth dangled from the bottom. A sickening addition to the human mouth, a metamorphosis as unnatural as they come. The world was dark around Abernathy and Peter, their voices trapped in their lone bubble of illumination. Now, Peter, said Mr. Abernathy the rings on his lips clacking against each other in a metallic burst with every word he spoke. We'll see what we can do about your cheating girlfriend. The air that night smelled of warm rain. Pete's boots tromped down the street, the puddles disturbed by his gait sending up little sprays. Mr. Abernathy had told him to meet at Brittany's parents' house at 9 p.m. Pete knew the general area, and Cedar wasn't a big enough town to get lost in, so he figured he'd have no problem hoofing it there if he left about a half hour early. And so, just a few moments before 8.30, Peter snapped shut the spring-loaded screen door of the apartment he had grown up in. Immediately, his clothes began to stick to his skin, as if weighed down by an invisible coat. Soon, he felt the first prickles of sweat beating under his arms and crotch where his underwear bunched. Peter took a deep breath and slowed. He took a few moments to consider what the night may entail. Abernathy hadn't been as intimidating as Pete had feared. Perhaps he'd lost a step or two. He had been around a long time, after all. Very long, if the rumors were true. Something flashed down Pete's nervous system, a lightning bolt through his veins. Mr. Abernathy. Abernader, Abernader. Gone were the hazy memories of trumpet practice in humid living rooms. Replacing them, seared into his consciousness, was the raw image of Abernathy in the restaurant, the air growing darker around him, his two rows of teeth clattering against each other, whispering secrets from the mouths of those long dead. Fear had gushed through Pete's body then, real fear, cold, paralyzing, insurmountable. It was the feeling of utter futility, that if a meteor were to smear him out of existence at that very moment, not a single, solitary soul would miss him. That's what Pete thought of now when he thought of Mr. Abernathy. Yet he still trudged towards the Paquin residence, fear be damned, this was for love. Brittany would understand. She couldn't see it right now, but if Pete could show her, or rather get Abernathy to show her, Pete knew she'd change her mind. The setting sun had dyed the sky a molten red and orange, the heavy light painted with broad strokes. Puddles of water marking the street's various potholes glowed with lava-like intensity. Peter Holbrook mounted the last hill before Brittany's house. His Casio watch beeped to let him know he was 15 minutes early. The Paquin Household was something of an anomaly in the town of Cedar. In a suburb dominated by the middle-class ranch homes, the Paquin House was undeniably modern. Situated at the top of Hangman's Bluff, the town's geographical high point, a plateau had been designed into the hill's side. The lot was a three-sided box walled on the south, east, and west sides. On the north, the house sat behind an elaborate wrought iron fence. The house itself was a two-story with a long balcony overlooking the bluff and by extension the entirety of Cedar. The middle of the house was bisected by a square tunnel that was currently occupied by the family's glossy black Range Rover. The sun drooped ever lower in the sky. It had dipped below the horizon line now, a burning eye half-lidded. The quality of its light changed, burning off the last of its fiery orange to be filled instead with a wet, heavy red. The Packwood house was now haloed in bloody ochre. Pete's shoes stopped in front of the gate. The entire second floor of the house had lights on. He noticed some movement over by the Range Rover. Someone appeared to be getting in and out. There was a small electric box fixed to the fence. Peter lifted a trembling finger and pressed the call button, still not knowing what to expect. Peter, Mr. Abernathy's voice cut on over the intercom. He was using the smooth voice. "'Hi, Mr. Abernathy.' "'Come on in, Peter,' his voice roiled. Pete wondered if something was wrong. The gate buzzed and swung open. Pete's boots crunched their way across the gravel. The ground was wet from the recent rain, and each footprint was soon filled with water seeping its way in, like blood from a stone. He was halfway across the lawn when he felt the hand on his shoulder. "'Hello, Peter,' Mr. Abernathy's voice filled the air next to his ear. Pete stopped dead in his tracks. The gushing fear was back. He couldn't see Abernathy. He had no idea where he had come from or how he'd gotten behind him. The voice spoke again. Let's talk about why you're here, Pete, Abernathy said. But it was more than that. There was something else that accompanied his voice on the air. A subtle click of two enamel surfaces together. Barely a hiss. He's still wearing his other teeth. The idea pierced Pete with numbing accuracy. Piss-filled his underwear. Abernathy wheeled around him, his eyes molten green and burning. The red light of the setting sun lined his suit in bloody flames. But Pete was unable to tear his eyes away from the teeth. Those awful teeth ripped from mouths long dead, press-ganged into service long after their owners had passed. They were awful things, filled with hate, anger, jealousy. You weren't honest with me, were you, Peter?" The question seemed to float to Peter through a haze of emerald and ruby. He shook his head. "'Who do you think I am, Peter Holbrook?' Pete tore his eyes away from the teeth for a moment. He looked at Mr. Abernathy. Truly looked. He considered his clothes, the eyes that didn't seem like his, the teeth that certainly weren't his. He thought of his involvement in the community, teaching trumpet lessons and boxing. Pete thought about how long Mr. Abernathy had been there. Everyone had a story about him, but no one was really sure when he showed up. Death, Mr. Abernathy. Your death. And why was it that you felt the need to ask for my services? Because I was wronged. Wronged? Wronged, yes, Peter nearly shouted. I was dating Brittany, and she cheated on me with Travis. He's horrible. He's no good for her. He's just lying to sleep with her. Pete's air began to come in great gasps as he worked himself up. Abernathy still stood in front of him on the lawn, still held his shoulder with an iron grip. Still the sun shone on, red and terrible. It should be gone by now. Its descent seemed to have halted on the horizon. Mr. Abernathy's arm stayed exactly where it was. But that's not true, is it, Peter? Peter's insides shriveled together. No. He was actually shouting now, his voice high and shrill. We were together. (laughs) I called ahead and told her we were going out. I gave her the date and everything, gave her plenty of time to prepare. I even had flowers ready, but she wanted to hang out with Travis, wanted to spend time with Travis, wanted to sleep with Travis. Peter's eyes roved over Abernathy's face. Travis had his chance, Mr. Abernathy. She belongs to me. Brittany needs to see how good I can be. That's why I needed your help. With Travis out of the way, I knew she'd know how much I care. How good I can be. Finally, mercifully, Abernathy took his hand off Pete's shoulder and smiled. Pete fell on his knees, his breathing ragged. He felt the damp of his underwear against his pant leg. Abernathy hitched him up. Come on, Pete. Let's go see Brittany and her family. Mr. Abernathy led Pete around the west side of the building. Here, the Paquin family had built a small garden lined with trees. Normally, the green would have looked lurid against the white stones of the wall. But here, under the baleful red gaze of the terminally unset sun, everything felt several shades darker, as though Pete was moving through some sort of primordial soup. Great furrows ran through the garden, the skin of the earth sliced to expose the fatty red clay beneath. Pete's eyes swept along the ground, transfixed by the disgorgement of earth. At the base of the trees, the ground was wetter, less earthen, meatier. Bile rose in his throat as he realized he was looking at entrails. Bill and Lily Paquin were strung between two of the trees, their stomachs slit from sternum to groin. They were splayed open and cavernous for the world to see, skin pulled out to the side tight as a drumhead. It was their innards that had been so expertly mixed with the wet ground below. Pete did throw up then, copiously. When he finally stood up, it was Mr. Abernathy's hand that greeted him on his shoulder again. You understand why I had to do it, Pete? Abernathy asked. Once I got rid of Travis, Brittany might have run to her parents. And that defeats the whole purpose of this. Right, Pete? Peter nodded. This is what he wanted. He had been the one to figure out who Abernathy was. He had bargained for his services. Brittany would see how he could care for her, be someone she could rely on. Abernathy steered Peter inside the house. Mud from the garden had been strewn everywhere. Mud and blood, Pete realized. Abernathy had clearly used the kitchen as some sort of staging area. The granite countertops were soaked in blood. It gathered in pools along the edges. Just through here, Mr. Abernathy's voice commanded... Pete followed his outstretched hand into the next room, the dining room. He wished he hadn't. This room was angled towards the west. A sliding glass door opened onto the back porch. White walls meant the room was blood red in the immobile sunset. The center of the room was occupied by a heavy, dark wood dining room table. Mr. Abernathy nearly skipped to the head of it across the room, sat himself, and kicked his feet up on the edge. Seated, one either side of the table, were Brittany Paquin and Travis Powell. Both were bent at the waist, each of their heads secured to the table via a metal band screwed slapdash onto the wooden surface. A traditional claw hammer lay in the very center of the table. Both teens' mouths were bloody, and Pete noticed, with queasy familiarity, a collection of small, bloody objects on the table next to each head. Teeth. So, Pete, Mr. Abernathy began, what do you think? It's, it's all wrong, Pete managed to gasp out. Travis shook violently against the restraints. He seemed to be gagged with some sort of fabric and screamed hoarsely against it. Brittany just moaned. Abernathy was nonplussed. What's wrong with it? You were only supposed to kill him, Pete pointed at Travis. And she was supposed to see me as the hero. You've killed her family and ripped out her teeth. How could she ever love me after this? "'Who do you think I am, Pete?' Mr. Abernathy repeated. "'I know who you are. You're death,' Pete continued. "'You're the enforcer of the righteous, and I was wronged. "'Travis slept with Brittany, my girlfriend, "'and frankly, the world is a better place without him. "'I'm not death,' Mr. Abernathy said. "'I, for one, think—' What?' "'Pete stopped short. "'Abernathy repeated himself. "'I am not death, Peter Holbrook.' I am not Death, and you are not Brittany Paquin's boyfriend. Pete gaped again. No, you told me you were. I never said anything. I just asked who you thought I was. You said Death, and then went on a whole diatribe about how you had been wronged and someone had to die. Peter's mouth hung open permanently now. He sucked air in great gobs. His body felt like it had live wires running through it. But let's come clean together, Peter. You were never dating Brittany. Travis isn't even her ex-boyfriend. He's her current one. Brittany was never going to go out with you. You couldn't take no for an answer. You pestered her and couldn't wait to tell her how great you were going to be for her. And then, when she rejected you, you came to me. Which, in all honesty, I should be thankful. I haven't had much of anything interesting to do here for a while. Peter just kept staring. His vision felt permanently red now. Was the son a fraction lower? Brittany snorted and sobbed. Peter slumped into the chair at the head of the table. Who are you? He murmured. Don't worry, I'll tell you, Pete. Abernathy rose from his seat and began to walk. He stopped in front of Travis and picked up one of the teeth scattered on the table. Long thin trumpet player fingers held the enamel chiclet in front of his emerald eyes. Abernathy examined it like a jeweler then popped it into his mouth and swirled it around. Mr. Abernathy made a face, spat the tooth back out on the ground, and in one fluid motion snatched up the hammer and buried the claw into the back of Travis's head. The whole table shook hard, Travis thrashing against the metal restraint, but Abernathy's screw job held in place. There, Pete. I took care of Travis just like I said I would. Abernathy mounted the table with one step. He bound across it and stopped in front of Pete. "'You thought I was death and tried to trick me. "'Tried to tell me I had missed a life. "'Let me tell you something, Peter Holbrook. "'Death doesn't make mistakes. "'If a death is deserved, they collect.' "'The light was fading. "'Thank God night was finally coming. "'Mr. Abernathy gripped a whole handful of Peter's hair. "'Abernathy's green eyes held tightly to Pete's own. "'The teeth on the outside of his mouth "'jangled hideously against each other. "'You tried to get one over on us, Peter.' You tried to take what wasn't deserved, so I'm going to take something of yours.' Abernathy tilted Pete's head back and inserted the bloody claw of the hammer between one of his teeth. Pete's tongue ran itself furiously along the edges of the claw. The sun was setting, the blood-red light fading into total nothingness. Mr. Abernathy once more placed his head right next to Peter Holbrooks and spoke directly into his ear. "'I'm going to take your teeth, Peter.' I'm going to use them to feed, just like I've been feeding on you all night. You tried to trick one of us, Pete, and you have to pay the piper. That's fair. I'm not death. I'm fear, Peter. I'm fear, and I eat the soul. And with that, Mr. Abernathy twisted the hammer, and the sun finally set. And that's it. That's the first tape, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you uh, for listening. Um, please do tell your friends if you um, think they may like this or find it interesting. We are trying to make this more known. Like I said, we are looking forward in the next few weeks to bringing you more of these as Adam and I kind of discover more what's going on with them. Uh, the next tape, like I said, will be uh, or it's it's in the process of being transcribed now. No guarantees on the quality of that. We are working very very hard on it. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we really appreciate you listening and we'll see you uh, next week. Hopefully, uh, follow us on all the socials. You'll be able to find us there. It'll be in the show notes and, um, be excellent to each other. Thank you. Bye.